and welcome back to What's Literacy. Today's episode is with Cindy Owen, who is a social worker and has worked in the public health and social services field for about 15 years. Throughout her career, she has garnered a lot of knowledge about the topic of boundaries and self-care. In this episode, Cindy shares her knowledge about what these terms mean, as well as how they can help us better our mental health. So without further ado, let's dive in. I'll start with a little intro. Um, So I'm so excited to be speaking with Cindy Owen today. Uh, Cindy is a social worker and she has worked in the public health and social services uh, field for about 15 years. Uh, Hi, Cindy. How are you doing? Doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Thanks for asking. Um, Yeah, I'm really looking forward to speaking to you about our topic, which is boundaries and self-care. Um, And I think it's a really important discussion we should keep having, especially now that the holidays are fast approaching. They're kind of around the corner. So it could definitely be a very stressful time for many. Um, And before I actually get into our topic, can you maybe just talk about your background and how how you got into social work? Yeah, sure. That's no problem at all. So, um, so as you said, I've been in the health and social services field for about 15 years. Um, Prior to that, even I was Um, volunteering and, um, you know, just meeting with uh, different community organizations. So um, a while now, you know, it's interesting whenever people ask me how I got involved. um, I always think back to my first memory of like knowing I wanted to help others. And I remember being 14, calling kids helpline, not for help for myself, but calling them to see how they got their jobs. I was like, how do you how do you do what you do? Like, I just want to know how you get into this, because I just knew I wanted to be in that field of helping and supporting others. So Um, I would say that very young, I'd always wanted to do some form of helping. I just didn't know what it was called. So I actually got into it first by trying um, and getting into the Dawson Social Service Program in the um, tech program in Montreal. And so I did that. And I then you get to do internships. So I actually did an internship and was hired with uh, the English Montreal School Board. So I worked with alternative and uh, different, uh, different needs high school students. So that can be either delinquency, behavior issues, but also learning disorders, So I did that in their alternative school system for about four and a half years. Following that, I also worked in some community organizations, did some parenting programs. Finally, I went and did my bachelor's in social work at McGill, Um, did an internship with the the Department of Youth Protection, worked there for about four and a half years, and then also went on afterwards to start my Asasia program, similar to the Dawson Social Service one, for special care counseling in Gatineau. So they didn't have one there, so I started it and also taught there for almost two years. Following that, I actually helped uh, start up the program of the local wellness advisors at McGill University. I was supporting and providing different tools and trainings, but also policies and procedures around, you know, crisis and um, crisis response, but also in terms of teaching all the students there about self-care and boundaries. So I did that for about four years, and now I'm actually supervising uh, other workers in youth protection again. So big, big career already. Um, Definitely worked a lot within the education system, but also just working with other health providers and also other social service providers. So very much been passionate about this my whole life um, and hoping to continue doing it. Yeah, that's really awesome. So yeah, you're, you have so much experience, um, especially like with our topic today being boundaries and self-care, not only uh, helping other people set boundaries and caring for themselves, but I imagine you yourself need to learn how well you implement boundaries for yourself and need to learn how to care for yourself 
A hundred percent. You know, we're actually on the heels of all the big protests that are happening in the public systems in Montreal right now. So I actually am, uh, you know, just finished up those protests. And so that's like a huge piece is that we have to protest for hours. And, you know, the big rule is, is don't make up the time, you know, which is all everyone's always like, oh, but I got to go do work extra overtime to make up for what I lost. And it's like, no, that's the point. Like, <laughs> so even today, there's loads of discussion about that, about not making up for that lost time. And that's the point is that we're constantly trying to build gaps within systems and within ourselves that, you know, are so important to maintain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just to kind of bring it back, can you firstly just define for us what a boundary is? You know, it's interesting because it's, you know, it's um, it's a really, it's really almost difficult to think of because it's such a hot topic in terms of, you know, how do we verbalize it when it's such an abstract thing? You know, there's different types of boundaries, right? So we can think of it in a less abstract term, which are like physical boundaries, which even then we struggle to communicate. But I think it's almost one of the easier ones to communicate, you know, in terms of like, now with COVID, I would think about people who used to hand like shake hands at the beginning of a meeting and then it was like turned into fist bumping or elbow bumping, but now it's back to possibly hand like those ones can even be still be hard, but that's a good one to always think of to make it less abstract. But then that you do get into the more difficult ones, which are like time boundaries or like even you know, emotional boundaries, verbal boundaries, like it can actually be a lot of things. I personally, my like, you know, connotative de- definition is always just like you're aligned about what you're willing to sacrifice. It's just that it's like, you know, it's aligned within your head that if someone were to cross it or that you don't cross in terms of your willingness to give or outstretch something that you wouldn't do, you know, without someone else asking you. And so it's like really maintaining that line. So like that boundary is literally, I try to think about a physical wall. So if it's physical, it's like, how much will I be stepping over this wall to be able to reach out to you? And um, how much am I willing to do that? Or how much am I not willing to do that and maintain that boundary? Because they can also be flexible. They can be porous or they can be rigid. You know, some boundaries are not so rigid and that's okay. depending on on your own individual definition. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. Um, And I think, yeah, I think that's a great visual with the lines. And uh, yeah, very true that boundaries change as we change as well. Um, And but why are boundaries so important to to maintain? I think they're important first before you maintain them. I think it's important to identify them. Mm. You know, I always think about um, what we teach our children, especially having worked in my field. And, you know, the biggest thing at McGill was that I worked with the first year students primarily. So students who left home and were living in housing, they had their room. A lot of them, they never had to share a room. And now suddenly they have a roommate in their room. So they were really quickly having to learn what their boundaries were. You know, so it's that, you know, you don't really even know sometimes until you figure that out when someone crosses them. So first it's identifying what you were raised with. I think also with kids, we don't really give them always the opportunity to express boundaries. You know, I always think about kids where it's like they have to give everyone a hug goodbye. And, you know, we don't really allow that expression of like, I don't want to hug you. It's like that scene is rude. While as an adult, we're allowed to say something like, I don't want to hug this person. So I think the first step is to identify, first of all, what your personal boundaries are, but what boundaries were you raised with? Because that's also where we start to learn those differences. That's why I always encourage every adult to have at least one roommate in their life, because you will learn all of your boundaries very quickly by what line is being crossed. And you can usually feel it inside of you. You're like, I don't know if I like what's going on here, but then it's also, is it me who's being rigid or is it me who also needs to kind of push and be a bit more malleable or a bit more porous with them? And what kind of boundaries do I want? 
because you know there's some of us where it's like I don't like anyone just stepping into my room well there's other people who are like no come on in it's a free-for-all like it's fine and so I think it's when we see that we can also go do I want to be like that and then going through that self-discovery especially as we age and as we mature and as we develop so I think that's the reason that's the number one thing that's important after that then it's about staying true to our values and self that's why they're so important to maintain especially when we've discovered a boundary that's particularly about our safety it's about our well-being and we know that it's a really rigid one it's so important once you identify it to maintain it because then you're really actually aligning with yourself and i and really defending yourself you know if someone an easy one i would think about is someone just stepping on your foot it's like would you just be like yeah i'm okay with that all day like all day I just step on my foot it's fine put a brick on it no there's a point where you're like um i don't like that it's easy when our physical safety is at risk well it can be easier but then also there's times where it feels like, am I being too um, rigid? Am I being too defensive? And so I think it's really important to constantly check in with ourselves so that we know also what our feelings of safety are. Mm, yeah, that's a that's a really good point. And that also makes me think when you're talking about like, oh, do certain boundaries make us to like, are we are we being too much or are we closing ourselves off from things like how do you set boundaries without like closing yourself off or having them stifle your growth? How do you know when a boundary is, I guess, a, a good boundary or a healthy boundary? That's such a great question because, you know, I never want to limit someone's exploration or like adventure that is life, you know, like you never want to tell someone, well, you know, you could get, it's like telling someone you could be hurt anywhere. So don't ever go outside. Well, okay. Like that's someone's choice, but it's, well, what do you want? You know, so you're, if you're saying, okay, I'm never going to go outside. I don't want to ever get hurt or sick, but then you're like, but I'm also so bored and I miss people. It's like, okay, so maybe this is a boundary. Maybe the house is too much of a boundary. Maybe we need a bit more of an extension. So I would say that it's, you know, I think it's also learning resilience, especially with young people is that, and even honestly, when you get older, it's that maybe you're like, maybe I could try something new because some of those boundaries, it's like, if you think of it as a room that you've built inside, sometimes it can get quite stagnated. But it's also, I think about checking in about identifying what is for you struggling versus suffering. Because initially that boundary extension will be uncomfortable. It's going to be like stretching your body. It's kind of good when you feel a bit of discomfort. If you feel nothing, then you're not actually stretching anything. You know, if I just put my hand like this, it's like, I don't feel anything. If I just put my hand slightly in the air, but it's when you really reach your hands up high over your head and you kind of really push it. You're like, Ooh, that feels like a stretch. But if you start to feel something really painful, it's like, okay, never mind. And I always think about a physiotherapist told me this once about um, pain, about how to know when it's good or, you know, scary or really scary, which is the, you know, green, yellow, red. You have a slight pain, but it stops as soon as you stop the action. Okay, then it's not an injury. Well, if you have one that just kind of pushes a little bit, it's not even on an injury, it's a good stretch. But if you have one that is injury and then you stop it and it still hurts, that's actually really bad. Don't do that one anymore until you're ready for it later. So I like to think of that as emotional as well. It's how mm. long does the does it impact you? You know, it's like saying after a breakup, you felt sad for a while, so you should never date anyone again. It's like, no, were you able to move forward? Were you able to move past that injury? I think it's that same thing of, is it a stretch or is it an actual injury? And is it an injury that's going to last you for a long time? Checking in with yourself. Mm, yeah, always checking in with yourself. Yeah, <laughs> that's a yes. big, it's uh, a big theme. Um, and Obviously, we have control over the boundaries that we set in place for ourselves, but 
how do we like navigate someone who isn't respecting our boundaries? Like what should we do in a situation where someone isn't respecting our boundaries? You know, it's interesting. I always, whenever I think about people who don't respect boundaries or even just um, where they cross boundaries, it's one is, do they know? It's, it's mm-hmm. versus, are they aware? Because someone I've, I've seen a lot and I've counseled a lot of people who are saying, well, they don't respect my boundaries. And I'm like, well, did you make your boundaries clear? Mm. Because that's actually a bit of an issue where it's like, they think that boundaries should be assumed of like, obviously I wouldn't like it when they lean on me. It's like, well, how, I don't know, maybe some people love to be leaned on, you know, it's like, first, is it communicated? Right. And is it communicated in a way that's, you know, not aggressive of like, Hey, don't you ever lean on me? How dare you? You know, it's, it's Hey, by the way, I don't like it when you lean. It's very a neutral term. It's not an attack depending on the severity of that crossing. So my rule is when when someone's boundaries are crossed is first to analyze the other person, depending on the speed and severity of it. But one is, are they aware? Two, um, do they care? And three, do they have the capacity to make that change? So it's like, it's like if someone does a bad job, well, is it that they weren't trained properly or that they don't care about the job or are they really just, you know, actually want to do it badly? So it's first identifying that. The other piece too is also identifying how often has it happened, especially after you communicated. It's like my rule is always also everybody gets one, especially if it's not too severe of like a violent nature. If we're talking about more general boundary crossing, it's like, all right, if I told you, but you still, all right, you get one, but now I'm keeping an eye out. You know, if we see this pattern of behavior, someone's intention or apologies then don't actually fly because it's how worth is how worth it is it for me for this boundary to be crossed? Especially if it's something like, hey, they went into your room and took a book or into your office and took a book versus like they're robbing you. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. don't ever do that. <laughs> like, you know. So I think that's our own severity of lines too. Because for some people, borrowing a book from your office is like, don't you ever do that again? But for some other people, it's, oh yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on this. This is weird. You know, it's just noting that piece about what's your own severity as well. Right. Yeah, that's a good way to differentiate it. <laughs> um, and of course, we can't always control how other people respond to our boundaries, but I feel like a lot of people have trouble, myself included, have trouble kind of respecting our own boundaries sometimes. Um, yes. And why do you think that is? You know, it's interesting. I, I think there's a few reasons. I think one is that um, I think a lot of people struggle with almost like a type of pride where it's like my resilience is demonstrating my self-sacrifice. It's like, I am so like going to demonstrate and also will then be respected and also revered for how much I'm self-sacrificing. And this, my frustration with that is, is that no one really knows how much you're sacrificing when you're crossing your own boundaries. It's because unless you're announcing it, like, Hey everyone, I didn't want to work tonight and I am you Mm -hmm. choosing to work. Then people assume that you're okay with it because then your behavior becomes messaging. So I think it's that one is that people, one, they think they, their boundary crossing is really like a sign of strength, which mm. I mean, technically, I guess it is. And that you're like, sacrifice is good. And people seem to like sacrifice. It's about all the movies is someone mm-hmm. who's like sacrificing for the greater good. It feels very heroic. Two is that is that prideful or proud thought of like, I can handle it, which I think we take a lot of pride in that. And also three is wanting to be a team player. We want to help others. We want to support others. And we sometimes overestimate our limits because also we are all perpetually the kid who doesn't learn until they burn their hand on the stove several Mm -hmm. times and 
I don't think that's the worst thing. You know, it's like I, I, I myself, I'm like, no, no, I got this. I got this. I got this. And then I had been, I had a friend this week call me and they said, I don't know. Out of nowhere, I just hit a wall. I was like, out of nowhere. Like we all were bugging them that they were overworking for, mm-hmm. but they were like, but I was doing it. I was doing it. But then I just hit a wall. It's like, well, it's rarely comes. Like, <laughs> I think maybe I'm burning out. It's like, no, everyone was telling you. Right. So I think it's that piece about feeling like we can do more. And I actually had someone recently tell me, you know, we give ourselves grace physically as we age. We're like, well, I couldn't do that now. I'm too old. But emotionally, we also age. So we also have certainly more emotional limits too, or even mental limits. And it's not to say that we just, you know, we're just like old, therefore unproductive or unable to do things. It's that we have to be kinder to ourselves and gentler because our, you know, our ability to even like create new brain cells and create new, you know, resilience or even just perseverance is slowed down because we're literally not creating them at the same speed as a 15 year old, you know? So I think that's also where we're not so gentle on ourselves. Mm. I've seen so many people with an injury slow down, but then with a mental or emotional injury, they're, they're just putting the same level. So I think it's also the gaslighting of ourselves. Mm. It's like, am I really that bad? Am I really that hurt? Am I really this? It's just, we don't have that physical evidence to demonstrate and also prove to ourselves and others that, Hey, we need this space. So I think it's a combination of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think also we don't, no one wants to be perceived as lazy. We really, really like to be appearing as hard workers, but yet we're so much kinder on others and ourselves. It's so odd that an inability to judge our own performance, but it's also weird because we're all hypocrites. I have told so <laughs> many of my friends, like, you got to slow down. And as I'm like working, like first, yeah. and I'm like, okay, we all need to slow down. Yeah. I think also we don't know how to judge work ethic. We, I think we all struggle to judge what is a good work ethic because we really feel like we should do more when we actually think no one else should be doing as much as they're doing. So I think those are the few, it's complex, but I think those are like the main reasons is yeah, that gaslighting ourselves, the pride Mm -hmm. in our work ethic and also in our own like outputting and our need to sacrifice and, you know, really help others and be a part of a team. And also you don't want to be the person to bail. You want to be, you don't want to be the one to be like, no, you want to be the person who's like, I'll do it. And then, you know, I always joke at work, we're volunteering as tribute. It's like, you know, like (laughs) I'll do the extra stuff. It's like, why? Like, yeah so yeah I think it's those reasons yeah I think yeah you make some great points there um and which actually brings us to sort of our second subtopic which is self-care um yes and I think self-care is a term that has definitely garnered a lot of popularity in recent years especially in the wellness industry uh beauty industry I would say as well It's, it's it's a very like marketed term I think um and now wellness even yeah, you know, I saw wellness like jump from like really good term to like be marketed within like three months. I think it was. It's like everyone was saying the word. I remember I was even yeah. told the word wellness. I was like, "What is wellness?" <laughs> and then in, within three months, everything was wellness. You know, I was yeah. like, "Oh wow, that was quick." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I think that's part of the reason why like there's so I, there's so many definitions for what self care is. Like, I think if you ask one person, they'll have a completely different answer from another. Um, and I think which could also lead people to having negative feelings about it, right? Yeah. So how would you define self-care? How, what is I think, I think to take away the negative connotation of it, because I don't always love the politicizing of certain words, which is like, let's look at it as almost like an academic term rather than like the connotative, which is just like, it's the act of taking care of self. Mm-hmm. 
The problem with it is though, is that I think the negative connotation with it is just that it's been utilized in sometimes by power structures as a method of identifying blame when it comes to a lack of feeling supported within a workplace or even within an academic setting. So it's like, I've noticed that when I was working at McGill, that professors were starting to say at the beginning of every semester, we really push you guys on your self-care. Please take care of yourselves. And then they were like, okay, we have three exams due that week. Also like, you have two essays. Like, and it was just this thing where all these students who would come to me and just in a panic being like, but I don't understand. I went to the prof to talk about self-care and they said, go talk about a ther- that with a therapist. Mm. So it just, it felt, I think it turned into this thing of almost like weaponized. Um, but I think really the term in, in its most neutral definition of just taking care of yourself is actually the most lovely way to look at it because that's where the individualized definitions are applicable and should be def- different. They should not all be the same because when they become the same, that's how we're able to judge if we're doing it wrong or right, which we shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of people also feel overwhelmed by the idea of taking care for themselves, like especially in times of stress. Um, so how do we engage in self-care without it just being another thing to do on our long list of to-dos? It's so hard because um, when we get into an anxious state, um, of to-dos, especially when we have a boss who's telling us what to do, we just almost want to look for what's the next thing to check off. And that's hard to break because it can feel quite empty to engage in something you like when you first start to do it. I'll give an example. Um, I haven't, I'm a, I paint, I haven't painted in a while. And I said to myself last weekend, like I should paint. What a horribly sad thing to say to yourself. of like, I should be painting. It's like, (laughs) painting is like a very slow, beautiful process if it's not for your career. And it's like supposed to be very like mental health focused. And Mm -hmm. I'm now berating myself for not doing it. It's a chore now. I'm like, God, I should be painting. What am I doing with my life? What a horrible way to spend your whole time. Like I only have like 48 (laughs) hours off and I'm just like, I should be doing more. It's, but I think though, because I've also engaged in things that are not productive and it feels empty at first. Because I'm like, well, I don't get my dopamine hit of, yes, I did it. Yes, I did it. And I remember even struggling with someone where I was like, it's hard to find joy in your hobbies when you're in like, go, go, go mode. And they're like, well, sometimes joy can be defined as something else, which is just nothing. And instead of getting dopamine hit or an anxious hit, you know, it's like, you look at like compulsive gamblers. That's one where it's like, you know, I, I went and did a whole class on like addictions and gambling is an interesting one because it's also like there's a huge anxiety piece to it. Like, yes, the dopamine hit is good, but there's also an anxious hit that's really constantly in a state of anxiety. And it's almost becomes that for work where it's like it becomes our new piece of like addictive dopamine hit goal, which is like it does feel really good to be successful at something. Engaging in things with self-care, there's no way to quantify it. Mm. Did I do really good self-care? It's like... Well, if you're looking for a dopamine hit, you're not always going to get it. So that's why it also just feels like, well, I should just, I should just do things that are productive because then at least I can tell myself I did good. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard to find any quantifiable value with things that are like, even like taking a bath. It's like, well, at least I cleaned myself. It's like, there's still always that productive, right. quantifiable nature. And I've even, I used to tell students, do nothing. Just stare like an idiot, have no value yeah <laughs> just, and, and don't enjoy it like it's not just gonna be exist. like wow I feel so good I did nothing it's like just be literally dumb because it's sometimes good to say I still have value just sitting here in a chair yeah I think that's a great way that's like yeah super important because oh yeah a lot yes. of the times we just think of completing tasks as being like productive or being valuable and you can take a nap and that's 
you're doing self-care yeah. if that's what you oh need. Oh my God, like, take, take so many naps. Like, <laughs> take 50 naps. <laughs> and, and, also- and I think we always try to justify it. It's, a, mm. it's the justification of like, well, I nap, but I was, I've been really tired lately. So I'm trying to, it's like, just be a sloth. Like, it's fine. It's like, and also question, question too, about like critically think your own thoughts. It's that idea of like, how come everything has to have a purpose? Like, what is this? Like- and and also, if you have children, are you raising your children that same way of like, you know, just letting them just be or whatever, you know, and I get it, like kids can drag at you. So it feels also, I think that's where other people get into a very productive mode, because if you just sit around and you have kids, they will see that as an opportunity to um, go at you and mm-hmm. try to take from you. And so also as parents, there's a need to always be productive because also it's literally every time and like second is so precious that it's like, and not even precious in a good way, like precious, like there's no time to do anything. So it feels like you can't waste any of it. Mm-hmm. But I think also it's what are we modeling to our kids, which is that we are go, go, go. It's like maybe slow down and suck at some things just to be, and not be stressed. Just be like, yeah, well, we fell behind. I don't yeah. know. You know, just that, that incapacitated. Yeah. And so in that case, like, it's okay to not be perfect at self self-care either, right? Like maybe you tell yourself you need to do something and you don't do it like is that is it okay to to, to maybe not always be amazing at self-care I think even just the act of just is it okay to not be amazing is an act of self-care mm. it's almost like you know it's like I think if we put it because I know some people who even in my workplace were like oh my god I really need to just not take a phone call at home or whatever. Like I've just been doing too much. And then they do feel guilty because they're like, you know, I have to, I have to have better boundaries and all these other things. And it's like, let's reel it in. Like, let's go back to the emotion. And I think that's also the other issue is that we can leap and jump away from the emotion of it all. And we just constantly look at behavior and tactics. So when it's like, we're failing at self-care, it's let's reel it in and just not failing. It's not good or bad. Let's not even judge it. It's just, I feel overwhelmed. I feel tired and like, I feel like, you know, I'm not in connection with myself. You know, it's like, I think sometimes that's the way to even look at it because people who do try to judge their own or quantify again, quantify their capacity or quantify their, you know, production and whatever it is. I think it's also a way that they're just being guilted to not, if someone does burn out or they cry randomly, it's like, well, I haven't been taking care of myself. It's just another way to judge yourself. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I've had, I've had times where I'm like completely collapsing and I know all my friends are waiting to say, well, we told you that we were working too hard. It's like, yeah, well, oh, well, like I did it anyways, but now I'm collapsing. That mm-hmm. is actually my new way of self-care is honestly is the collapse and fully ignoring anyone who warned me prior. So, <laughs> you know, I think that's also the piece is just being okay with that and just saying, I feel tired and I feel pressured everywhere. And I feel like everyone wants everything from me and mm-hmm. I'm just a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Um, and how do we, how do we make self-care? How do we like take the time for ourselves and make it like a sustainable part of our routine? Is there a way to do that? (laughs) Um, I think it depends on the season. (laughs) I gotta say, I forgot how much the crappy weather or like the bad weather really impacts time 
Like, mm. I feel like there's less time because of the sun. But then I was like, even this year, I'm like, you know what? I'm a hermit this year. There is no sun out. I am not out. Like, sorry, everyone. Like, not, <laughs> it's not happening. Because honestly, like that routine, oh my God, is it easier when it's sunny out? Like, mm. this, especially in Montreal, this city comes alive as of May. Like, it's really incredible how like people are like, I'm going to kayak again. People who would never kayak in their lives are suddenly like all, you know, and then there's vacations. It's just so much, you know, I always say that Montreal is one of the funniest places in the world because we're miserable six months of the year. We're just all like, like, oh, get away from me. <laughs> like, especially January, February, no one's interested in anything, you know? So I think in terms of building that routine, looking at your own ebbs and flows. Some people love winter, mm-hmm. listen, people are like, finally had to cross country ski or whatever. I'm not friends with those people, but <laughs> I just, I know some people exist out there who like to do that. But I think it's looking at our ebbs and flows and looking mm-hmm. at when our ideal time is. I will say this also, for me, there's a piece too about, you know, I always look at ideas around like, you know, wellness wheels or even just like, um, you know, wellness functionality of like what matters to me. So for me, it's like, I look at two week periods Cause I'm a very, like, I, I really like patterns and I like, um, uh, you know, just that kind of flow. So it's like, I always have at least one out of two weekends where I'm very social and it's like, yeah, it's gonna be a busy weekend, but that's the, the recharge I need. While also I look at ones where I'm like, I, I need to not watch TV for four days. Like I need to just not have that screen. I'm just going to read, even if they're trashy books that I've read 14 times. I'm just, and it's, and then it's not because, oh, I'm so proud. I read so many books. It's just that I, when I start to notice a twinge of like my own boundary being crossed of like too much media, like I need to just chill it out. And then also for me, it's about routine of shortening it. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do it well, because we work eight hours a day. I think we feel that the need to put an equal amount of time into our hobbies and our leisure, mm-hmm. which is really difficult. And then it actually creates a stagnation or even like a freezing effect where it's just like, well, I can't. I can't journal for two, like 20 minutes. It's like two minutes, just even two minutes, just write something down on the piece of paper. That's not about work or it's not about your family or it's not about anyone else. It's just about you. And even if it's Mm. like, ah, like writing that down over and over, it's just, you did something different with your brain. I think it's really shortening the expectations. I think that's a big piece I would suggest. Yeah. Yeah. Baby steps. Baby steps. (laughs) Yes. And also switching. Yeah. And switching also where it's like, even if it's like, I'm going to do yoga for four seconds, it's like, okay, fine. Like then I'm going to be done and I'll switch and whatever. And then I wasn't, it wasn't productive. It wasn't efficient. I, okay, whatever. I looked at my body in terms of like stretched it out. I stretched my hands over my head. Yay. You know, I think it's those little things because then they become less intimidating in our minds and less anxiety provoking. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. Um, And to switch gears a bit, um, when people talk about mental health it's often in a negative context but the truth is we all have mental health all the time whether it's good it's bad somewhere in the middle so how do boundaries how do setting boundaries for yourself and how does engaging in self-care whatever that looks like for you how does that better our mental health I think um, I remember reading um, one author's uh, stance that it should be called brain health because if we look at it as a more physical organ, as opposed to an abstract concept, it can actually create a more positive relationship with it. Mm. Especially for those who, um, you know, do struggle with the whole identity piece or the whole piece around like, you know, my mental health is bad or my mental health is good. It's like, no, it's, it's more like, how are we treating it and how are Mm. we responding to it? I think also um, when it comes to boundaries and maintaining, you know, proper 
you know, mental well-being or even just emotional well-being or social well-being. I think when it comes to boundaries, I think just practicing the word no, you know, like I always love the saying, mm. like no is a complete sentence. And I really like it in a neutral term. I never like telling someone my boundaries in a very judging way of like, hey, no, like that's too far. I, I think it in a gentle way when it's not too crossing, it's not aggressive, where it's like, I can't, you know, it, it's not bad or good. It's not against you. It's not against me. It's mm-hmm. just no, <laughs> like that's just not happening. And I even, my new saying at working was that it's not happening. Like, I really hear you. That's not happening mm-hmm. because it's just not happening. Like, I just don't <laughs> have the capacity or you're going to, or you're going to get a really bad version of it, which I'm not proud of. So do you want the? And I give options. Would you like mm-hmm. the bad version? <laughs> like, cause these are your options. It's either not happening or it's a terrible because that's all I have right now. But it's then also rooted in my confidence, which is that I I can do a good job. I can't when I'm split 15 different ways. These are your options is don't split me 15 different ways or accept a bad job, mm-hmm. which not everyone likes because I also think that a lot of our forms of even management, either management in self or management even from society or, you know, culturally is, is through fear. Mm-hmm. It's, do you want to lose your job? Do you want to lose your position? Do you want to lose respect? Do you want to lose you know, all these things. And it's just like, no, I don't want to lose them. But also if, if it takes me literally sacrificing myself, well, then this is an abusive relationship because we would never let our siblings or friends be in relationships with partners who talk to us that way. And so I think that's why identifying our own self-talk is really important because if we're utilizing fear as motivators, that is what abusive, abusive spouses or abusive uh, friendships can do is they'll say, don't you want to be better? we would never allow people we love to be spoken to that way. And so Mm. I think that's where in terms of our mental health, our self-talk is so important in terms of ensuring that we're around positive self-talk or at least neutral where we're just acknowledging feelings. Mm -hmm. I feel overwhelmed, not do like you're so overwhelmed that like, it's just when it's just so targeted and aggressive towards ourselves, it's really quite detrimental. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. We do have to be kinder to ourselves or at least just not mean, (laughs) just, honestly like bare minimum just neutral is like, yeah yes I always joke that like try to be like chat GPT about yourself just yeah. be like hey great question um <laughs> it's always so positive yeah I'm that's a great takeaway <laughs> I think a lot of our listeners uh will enjoy that as well <laughs> I don't think I'm the only one um but uh, yeah thank you thank you so much for this really important and illuminating talk um mental health is something that uh, I'm very passionate about and I'm sure a lot of people are very passionate passionate about because it, it it is all of us so um yeah thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me thank you for having me yeah no thank you so much for having me I think it's a great topic but I also think it's one that everyone's passionate about but also mm-hmm. it's hard to really get that almost validation about mm-hmm. you know wanting to be and it's, I will just say as a last thing, it's so interesting because I'm noticing even more social media themes about normalizing how much we all want to be lazy and not just give our lives to work and all these things. And also like society is hurting right now. Like I just feel like a lot of people are in pain and, and not even in a mental health diagnosis way, but just as a community, people are hurting. And I think that's where it's like, hey, like it, this is hard. This is mm-hmm. really hard. It's It's not easy. And we didn't sign up for this, but also like, like find your enjoyment like honestly it's like just tap into like that almost childhood nature of just like full ignorance some days and also like finding your role within it because 
it is hard out there. So it's not going to be easier if we just keep pushing. It's, it's going to be much more difficult and much more exhausting. And we won't just, we won't have as much to give to ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I'm also a, a huge proponent of like just taking breaks from social media. Yes. Like it's, there's just so much information out there. And it's too much. So much going on in the world. It's and too only much. So much you as an individual can do, <laughs> you know? Well, it, it's also, if you're, if you're, if you don't know your role in it, then you're just feeling guilty. Mm. It's like, yeah. and that's where, don't get me wrong, productivity and purpose are beautiful. They can really create a good feeling of pride. But when you're just taking the anxiety hit mm-hmm. or the guilt hit, it, you're, you're just hurting yourself and you're like, man, uh, these wars. And then it's silent. It's like, oh, <laughs> this is just awful. Yeah. And so I think you're right in terms of taking that break from it's like consuming even, even if it's like good consuming, it's like, just sometimes create, you know, just sometimes just create something else as opposed to consuming someone else's thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we all need to just, um, it's important to stay educated, but then also kind of balance it with taking breaks and like doing things that you need to just take care of yourself, you know? Yeah. So Yes. Yeah. I. It's I the oxygen mask. Put yeah. your own oxygen <laughs> mask first and then look around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That analogy is a great analogy. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again, Cindy. Thank you again. I'd love to come back if I can. Yeah. um, And uh, yeah, I can't wait to hear your workshop next week on risk assessment. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For for those. That's right. On risk assessment. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Awesome. uh, Okay. Until next time. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. You are listening to the Literacy Quebec podcast. If you or someone you know needs literacy-related assistance, call the free Literacy Quebec helpline at 1-888-521-8181. That's 1-888-521-8181.